2: Witness Docs from Stitcher. All episodes of Unfinished Deep South are available to binge listen on Stitcher Premium. Premium listeners get an ad-free experience, can listen to all the episodes of Unfinished Deep South right now, and play a key part in supporting our show and reporting. You can get a free month trial of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcherpremium.com and signing up with the code WITNESS. So if you want to see how the entire story unfolds right now, that's stitcherpremium.com, promo code WITNESS.
1: This episode contains disturbing descriptions of violence and racism. Please take care while listening.
2: On a bright June morning in 1954, James Allen was at work in the Crittenden Memorial Park, mowing, weeding, digging among the graves of a sprawling cemetery just outside the center of Marion. It was a beautiful day.
3: Beautiful day. Beautiful day. And Billy Joe was out there on the tractor. You know, it was beautiful because he was distant out there.
2: There were birds in the trees, trains in the distance, the sweet scent of fresh-cut grass. James didn't see the thin column of black smoke rising up from the woods across the road. But when he heard the cars, he looked up. There were several of them coming fast down the road. And one belonged to the county sheriff.
3: I saw about four cars on that Monday. I know he was the sheriff because at that time they had that long arrow that long on the back waving.
2: The sheriff's radio antenna, waving in the air as he rattled down the road and turned into the woods toward that line of black smoke and whatever had been burned beneath it. James turned to his boss to ask what was going on. He
3: said, they found Isidore Banks back there. dead, tied and burnt.
1: Isidore Banks had been missing for two days and in that brief time, Rumors sprang up about where he'd gone and what had happened to him. Some people thought he'd gone to Memphis or Mississippi. Some heard stories about a man screaming in the night. Some had even gone looking for him out among the fields. But on that Monday morning, all the possibilities collapsed into one terrible fact. Isidore Banks had been lynched, chained to a tree, and burned almost beyond recognition.
2: Nobody speculated about who may have done it?
1: No. News of the lynching spread quickly through Marion. And in the African-American community, it was followed by an awful silence.
2: You had to keep your mouth shut, then he'd throw you out. So you, you had to keep your mouth shut because you were living in a white man's house. Like, he's going to kick you out if you started talking about Yeah, I am
1: talking
3: about it. Yeah, ooh, yeah. A lot of them went on and said something, but they had to run off.
1: James told us that some people did talk about Isidore. But if white people heard about it, They'd start getting threats, and some people were run out of town. So James kept quiet. He never talked about the killing, but he did begin having nightmares about Isidore.
3: Because I dreamt about it a couple of times. He's sitting down the tree with a log chain around him and a bucket of gas in front of him, and I was just imagining how he was suffering before he died. But it hurt so bad, you know, to uh, look at something like that or listen to something like that.
1: I'm Taylor Hamm.
2: And I'm Neil Shea.
1: This is Unfinished, Deep South.
2: Episode 4, White Memories.
1: In the African-American community, Isidore's lynching was catastrophic. The shockwaves still ripple through people's lives. Most of the African-Americans we interviewed believe Isidore was targeted because he was wealthy. He was also killed at the very beginning of the modern civil rights movement, which meant his murder carried a message. If we can get to him, we can get to you. So keep quiet, stay in line, and know your place.
2: But to the white community in Marion, the killing looked very different. In 1954, County Sheriff Cecil Goodwin, one of the most powerful lawmen in the state, insisted that Isidore's lynching had nothing to do with race. And in the local newspaper, his deputies suggested another motive. Isidore had a lot of girlfriends, they said. He was probably killed by a jealous lover. Basically, the deputies seemed to be saying the case wasn't worth solving or talking about.
1: And almost 70 years later, a lot of white people told us pretty much the same thing.
2: Hello? Hi, my name is Neil Shea, and I'm a journalist working on a story in Crittenden County. We were looking into the murder of a fellow in 1954 named Isidore Banks. Did you ever hear of that one?
1: At first, some of them seemed willing to talk. And then somewhere along the line, they suddenly changed their minds.
2: Uh, no. All right, ma'am. Is there there anybody you might suggest we reach out to instead?
1: No, I gotta go. Thanks. Uh Bye-bye. Some people admitted they knew something, but wouldn't tell us.
2: Yeah, you know about it? We know what happened, but I think it
1: needs to be risky. Others didn't like their family name coming up in a lynching investigation.
2: These evasive, coded responses made us crazy and suspicious. Some days, it seemed like every white person in Crittenden was keeping a secret.
1: We wanted to understand how white people in Marion had experienced Isidore's murder, and what they told themselves about it. But when we finally found people who weren't afraid to talk, what we heard shook us.
4: I can remember playing in my front yard there on facing the grade school at Military Road, you know, that two-story brick house, and uh, the wagons pulled by mules loaded with cotton would be lined up.
2: What would we have seen all around here?
4: Cotton fields? Cotton fields, oh yes, that's how they grew.
2: This is Jeannie Martz, She was raised in Marion and has spent all her life here. She's 78 now and remembers Marion back in the 1950s when fewer than 1,000 people lived in town.
1: What was it like growing
4: up in a town that was that small? Everybody knew everybody, and there was a sheriff and a deputy. No one used to lock their house. Hmm. My son had to make me learn how to lock the door.
2: Jeannie lives alone. Her house is small and neat. A clock ticks in every room. She's a retired schoolteacher and an amateur genealogist.
4: My mother's people were Robinsons and Penningers. I had 14 Penagers in the Civil War. Only two came home. Almost all my relatives had slaves. But uh, I don't mean a thousand slaves. I'm talking about, you know, eight, maybe three. And they were considered family So yes, I am a Southerner. I would fly my Confederate flag if I could. Can't you? No, it upsets my children, especially my daughter.
1: For generations, Jeannie's family has been powerful here in Crittenden County. Her father was a prosecutor, her brother was a prosecutor, and her nephew is the town attorney.
2: Did you know the sheriff?
1: Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. His his
2: wife
4: uh, was uh, my fourth grade teacher. And uh, he and my dad were good friends.
2: At the time of Isidore's lynching, Jeannie's dad worked closely with the sheriff. The two men owned the local newspaper. And Jeannie's dad was also the chairman of the powerful Democratic committee that ran the county.
1: He was the ultimate insider. He knew everyone and had a say in everything.
2: So while you grew up, did you ever feel that there was any tension along racial lines?
4: I knew there was, but I only knew people who worked in white folks' houses. And we loved every one of them, and we said, you know, we did what they said. (laughs) We minded them. It was like, it was almost as if they had just been released after the Civil War from working on plantations, and they crossed the river, and here they were instead of it being nearly 100 years.
1: Jeannie didn't know Isidore. She was only 12 when he was murdered. But she has disturbing memories of his death and how news of it rippled through the white community.
4: I don't remember him at all. I just remember gossip. My brother Jimbo and a friend, and I can't remember which buddy it was, rode their bikes out there where he was still tied to a tree. They had heard where it took place or where they discovered his body. And uh, he said it was intact. They hadn't even moved it. And uh, when I inquired what happened to him, it's only what they heard, you know, my brother's. And they heard that he had said something inappropriate to a young white woman going in the store.
2: Was that the sort of thing that could get you in trouble back then?
4: It just wasn't done. I guess so. I guess it could get you in trouble. It sure got him cooked.
2: Where did they find him, your your brother, when they went on their bikes? Did they go... Well, they didn't find the body. No, but they rode past it,
4: No, they went right to it and got off their bikes and looked out where the county shop is, across from the cemetery, back in the trees. My brother told me the year before he died that he could take me to the exact spot. I said, no thanks.
1: So do you know, do you remember how your brothers heard or... Did you just, the first time you heard about it, they must have come back from the scene? And-
4: but everybody knew about it. It wasn't just them. I mean, I was 12 and I heard it.
2: And as you got older, did people still talk about it or did it kind of fade away? No.
4: I never heard that it was somebody seeking his land. I never heard that until I was grown and probably past 50, I never heard anything about it. I didn't even know what is doorbanks did for uh, money or anything.
2: Did you ever in, in any of that gossip that was going around, did you ever hear a name of who might have done it to him?
4: But they were white.
2: Jeannie's memories fit a script. In the century following the Civil War, thousands of African-American men were lynched, and a common reason was the same one Jeannie gave for Isidore's murder, for attacking the honor of a white woman. The details could be different. Sometimes the men were accused of sleeping with a white woman. In other cases, it was whistling at or simply talking to a white woman. Most of the time, these accusations were straight-up lies. But the results were always the same.
1: Jeannie also confirmed something else about the killing. African-Americans had told us that Isidore's body had been left out in the woods, possibly for several days, so that white people could go look at it. While the timeline is hazy, we were able to use interviews and newspaper reports to establish one thing for certain. Isidore's body remained at the crime scene, chained to a tree, for at least one full day after it was discovered. Why? Because for Southern white people, lynching delivered a lesson about power, who had it and who didn't. Should I call her?
2: Why not? I think we just blow it out now. Like we're here. You know, we're we're going to stir up the hornet's nest. So let's just fucking do it. Soon after we got to Marion, people started telling us to go see someone named Rosalind O'Neill. African-American folks told us this, and white folks too. Rosalind knows everything they said. They called her the town historian. But even though Marion had grown in the decades since Isidore's murder, gossip still travels at small-town speed. And calling Rosalind would put us on the map.
1: O'Neill. Hi, uh, Miss O'Neill. My name is Taylor hum. Um I'm a journalist reporting on a murder that happened about 60 years ago in Crittenden County. In who, 19- who, who was murdered? Who was murdered? Uh, the name is Isidore Banks. Oh,
4: boy.
0: Oh, boy. That was a
1: really controversial murder. Rosalind is originally from Alabama. She didn't live in Marion when Isidore was killed. You said it was very controversial. Why do you say that? Well, I know the one guy who I thought did it, you know,
0: and I mean, he's dead too. He as good as admitted it to me, and I'm not gonna stay. But I mean, you know, you always want to know that justice is served, but quite frankly, a lot of times justice isn't served.
1: Yeah, justice comes in different ways. It really does. And, it, and so this is, a, this is someone that passed away, but you still feel that you can't reveal the name?
0: No, I don't. I think, you know, I'm not gonna take that step.
1: Would it be possible for us to maybe come by sometime and meet you and uh, talk to you in person? I really don't have much to add to
0: the story. It's, if I were here at that time, if I had been around, when it was actually occurring, it would be different. I've had enough reporters as friends, I know what your job is, but I'm not, going to, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to be guilty of helping you do creative writing.
2: Rosalind was the first person we'd spoken to who claimed to know the name of Isidore's killer. We couldn't let that go, and we tried to play it cool, like we weren't actually all jittery when she said it. So we tried to reassure her that we weren't there to make stuff up. And then, right before she hung up, she opened the door just a sliver.
4: Well, I will be at the
0: Sultana Disaster Museum on Thursday from 10 to 4. Okay. Bring that information with you.
2: Come by the museum where I volunteer, she said, and bring all the evidence you've got.
1: That
2: was wild.
1: Yeah, I hope she talks — like, she knows who did it. —
2: She has clearly got a lot of knowledge Mm -hmm. that she's guarding. —
1: Rosalind O'Neill is the widow of a big cotton farmer. She raised two sons here. One was running for mayor against the incumbent son of a powerful local family during our visit. And most famously, she was the close friend of a woman named Margaret Wolfolk, a journalist and lawyer who wrote two definitive books about local history and ran the local newspaper. Margaret died in 1999, but people said she knew the secrets of the town and that before she died, she told Rosalind When you visit California, childhood rules. If you don't remember how awesome childhood is, just ask yourself. What would kids do? Dance to a giant organ played by ocean waves? Yep. Camp in floating tree houses
4: hundreds of feet off the ground? Check. Jump in a big tub of mud on purpose? Call it rejuvenation. We don't care. Just pack your fun pants and let childhood rule your family vacation. Discover why California is the ultimate playground at
2: visitcalifornia.com. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. We're walking to the Sultana Museum now, just across the green from the County
1: Courthouse. Hello.
0: Hello. 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 Rosalind? Yes. Hi, I'm Taylor. Hi,
2: Taylor. This is Neil. Hi, Rosalind. I'm Neil. Hi, Neil. How are you?
0: We'll find out in a minute, won't we?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Rosalind has curly white hair. She was wearing a floral print dress we sat down beside a 14-foot-long handmade model of a steamboat. This is the Sultana, which blew up on the Mississippi River right outside of town in 1865. The accident killed almost 2,000 people, biggest naval disaster in American history.
0: Believe it or not, it's large, you lost more people on the Sultana than they did on the Arizona.
2: Rosalind, like a lot of people in town, knows this story inside out. But she skipped through the details because she wanted to know what we know about Isidore, his wealth, his life, his land.
0: I wanna see your title search.
2: Title search? Um, Yes.
1: (laughs) A title search is basically the history of a specific piece of land. It's like a timeline of its ownership. Rosalind worked in real estate for decades, so she knows all the big landowners in town. She's bought and sold plots, buildings, and farm fields all across the county. I've
0: gotten paid in fish. I've gotten paid in green beans. I mean, you know, barter is alive and well.
1: So we bartered, too. We showed her some of Isidore's land records. We walked her through what we found. And she helped us understand how real estate is bought and sold in Marion, where the records are kept, and how to track down parcels that Isidore might have owned.
0: No, I bought an ownership map, a
1: county ownership map. Oh, the plot book? Yeah, I have that one of those, too. So I have them on my computer. We spent a couple of hours talking land and searching maps with Rosalind. We shared our thinking on how East Door might have been lynched by someone who wanted his property. She listened politely and then totally disagreed. Because the guy who confessed to her, she says he didn't care about land or wealth. This was not somebody that was powerful.
2: So it may be somebody who hasn't even turned up in our search yet.
0: It had nothing to do with power.
2: It had to do with anger. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And it had to do with somebody who knew they would get away with it.
0: No, it had to do with someone who didn't care if they got away with it or not.
2: Before we met Rosalind, a lot of people told us that Isidore was lynched by someone powerful, someone with ambition. Now she was telling us something very different. We tried to nudge the name of the alleged killer out of her. But no matter what we appealed to, her sense of justice, her love of history, even her love of this town, she wouldn't budge.
0: Please don't get me or my town in trouble. Why won't you tell us? Because he has his relatives.
2: But so does Isidore. It's kind of like everybody's coming together to hide a secret.
0: No, I'm keeping a secret because I want to get sued. You see what I'm saying? I'll be be frank. I don't want to get sued.
2: So if I turn this thing off, and we're not recording anymore,
0: will
2: you tell me? No. Can I guess and have you shake your head, yes or no?
1: Well, you can guess. Go for it. Was it? So we tossed out some of the biggest names in Marion. The names of families that are still in power, just like they were back in Isidore's time. We guessed judges and mayors, lawyers and cops, farmers and politicians. Some of them were notorious racists. Some worked with Isidore. Some are still rich landowners here, their names sprawling across Roslyn's real estate maps. But it didn't work.
0: Come on, let's go outside so I can smoke a cigarette and cough some more. you mind if I have one
1: for those? Yeah, come on. People who sin together to stay together. We sit with her on a bench as she fishes out a pall Mall.
2: The guy who told you he did it, he didn't mention anybody else who helped him?
0: No. And he was six sheets to the wind when he did. And, of course, I turned white.
2: Why would he tell you?
0: Because he was drunk. You know, and I'm... You know, I'm the village idiot. People are always telling me things. I can tell you about the land in the county. I can tell you about the ecology of the county. But I didn't grow up here. I'm not... Because I was a protege of Margaret's, and because James Cecil Hale's daughter is my best friend. She's talking about Margaret Wolfolk,
1: the newspaper editor, and Jeannie Martz, who we heard from earlier in the episode. It was her brother who biked out to see Isidore's body. I was
0: accepted. Otherwise, I would have never even been accepted in this town. I mean, look at me, i am I'm strange, and I know I'm strange. But I love the town because they let me be strange, you
2: know. Rosalind identifies as an outsider. And she is. She's from Alabama. Her accent is different. She doesn't belong to any of the town's family dynasties. And outsider status has earned her a peculiar kind of trust here. People tell her things. Sometimes they share secrets. And she's careful with them. But back inside, sitting beside that big model of a steamboat she opened up a little.
0: I really hate to say it, but I don't think you can find who actually did this. I don't think it's possible. There's too many variations, two diametrically different points of view as to the motive, the time that happened in, and the fact that more than likely the, the people that did it are no longer living. Was it a heinous crime? The answer is yes. But you're not looking for one man. You're looking for more than one.
2: Rosalind thinks she knows who killed him, but she doesn't really understand why. Even with the confession, she can only guess at what happened to Isidore.
0: I don't think it had to do with land. Um, I honestly think it was a cultural killing as opposed to race. A cultural murder, it would be like Uh, A Muslim brother killing his sister.
2: We eventually realize she means an honor killing. That someone may have murdered Isidore because he'd shamed them somehow. Maybe something to do with a woman.
0: Do do you see what I'm saying? You you can just...
2: uh, of help me along here.
0: Everybody wants everything to be black and white. I'm three quarters of a century old. I've given up on black and white. Their shades of gray.
1: In other words, Rosalind doesn't think Isidore was targeted because he was African-American, And that leads her to another surprising conclusion. Rosalind doesn't think Isidore was lynched:
2: When we started this investigation, it seemed plain to us and to Isidore's family that he'd been lynched. That is, that his killing was an act of racial terrorism. But Rosalind and a lot of other white people in Marion don't agree. To them, Isidore's death was just a murder.
1: It turns out that while the word lynching gets tossed around pretty casually in this country, many people still argue over what it actually means and what it looks like. And we realized that to truly understand Isidore's story, we needed to look deep into this violent and uniquely American tradition and ask a few seemingly simple questions. What is lynching? Where did it come from? And how do we know for sure it's what happened to Isidore Banks?
2: Next time on Unfinished Deep South watch the lynchings in the late 19th century these are events that are pastimes and the people go to them exactly as they would have gone to a baseball game 15,000 to 15,000 people attending the counties would run special railroad cars to the to bring in people from the surrounding communities mayors would cancel schools on those days
1: Unfinished Deep South is a production of Witness Docs from Stitcher and Market Road Films.
2: Written and produced by us, Taylor Hom and Neil Shea.
1: Editing by Peter Clowney, Gianna Palmer, and Tracy Samuelson.
2: The show is produced by Laura Kalaluri and Stephanie Karayuki.
1: Our executive producers are Lynn Nottage, Tony Gerber, Peter Clowney, and Chris Bannon.
2: Our mixing engineer is Casey Holford. Special thanks to our fact checker, Michelle Harris.
1: Deep South features blues, folk, and gospel music performed by Hubby Jenkins.
2: Original theme music and score by Casey Holford, with musicians Ryan Thornton and Dan Costello.
1: Special thanks to the extended family of Eastor Banks, who gave generously of their time, their patience, and their memories.
2: Thanks also to Professor Margaret Burnham and the Civil Rights and Restorative Justice Project at Northeastern University. To Willie Gammon and to the 78 Project.
1: And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. My
3: Lord, he called me, he called me by the lightning, the trumpet sounds to fill my soul, ain't got long to stay here.